0: You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 15. Can you believe we made it to 15? 15 episodes. This is the 15th episode of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and my co-host, Bob, well, let's just say he's still under the weather. If you listen to our last uh, episode, uh, episode 14, uh, he was doing an impersonation. Well, he wasn't there, but he said he wasn't coming, wasn't coming because he sounded like, uh, like Batman. So he still sounds like Batman, and he will not be joining us this evening. But today, we are coming to you from our home at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thank you for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, Google Play, and most any other podcatcher. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Today, I have to say I'm really excited because joining us is Howard Gunston. By day, Howard is the director of S.A.T. or S.A.C. Union Facilities Operations and Reservations at Stony Brook University's Office of Student Affairs.
1: (gasps) It's a mouthful right there. Wow. Yeah. What the heck is S.A.C.? Try to get that on a business card. The Student Activity Center.
0: Oh, Yeah. excellent. We're
1: very big at acronyms in higher ed.
0: So, but at night, our guest, And do you do your podcasts at night?
1: Oh, God, yes. At night or on the weekends. Usually, it's a never-ending day that starts on like a Friday night, and Mm. suddenly it's Sunday morning.
0: Okay, so, but by night, our guest transforms into Howard Gunston, host of the podcast Writer's Comma Ice Cream, a great podcast that discusses Howard's dream and sometimes obsession with becoming a published writer. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, we're going to speak to Howard about all things podcasting.
1: As we turn our script that we don't read. Um, Can I just say, speaking of the script, I appreciate that you actually had spelled out comma as it is in the title. I can't tell you the amount of times. Well, it's not a coma. Yeah, but I think that people think it's a typo when I send them. The th- and so oftentimes it'll be writers with like the literal graphic of the comma, of a comma, ice cream. But it's spelled out here. Thank you for props to the title.
0: I try. So we're going to talk about his background, uh, how he came to become a, quote-unquote, "podcaster," and I'm holding the quotes up in my fingers. Um, and b- before we begin, be, <laughs> blah, blah 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 before we begin see, we don't edit here. Um, before we begin, I wanted to say first that uh, usually we talk to people who are somehow related to the library world in one way, shape or form. And we here at the library Pros also think the library should be podcasting, and we need to give kudos to Ellen Druda, uh, Charlene Muir. And Chris Kretz at the Half Hollow Hills Community Library for taking that leap uh, with In the Stacks is a little plug for them. It's a great podcast. It's about eight minutes long and they talk about books that are really interesting. And again to Chris Kretz from he's at Stony Brook University Southampton campus. Um, he works at the library. And he and Connie Curry put together a podcast that's been going on for about 12 years now called the Long Island History Project. So we have to give them props. But we don't know of any other libraries that are really doing a a free-form podcast. Um, So we really wanted to bring you in to talk about podcasting. I know that you spoke at the Suffolk County Library System about podcasting. Uh, But we wanted to discuss the process of starting a podcast. Because I think it's informative to people out there in what I would call library land. The same way you have listener, I have library land.
1: Library land, I like it.
0: So uh, we learned about Howard because he spoke at the Suffolk County Library System. System about podcasting, and he does participate in a writers group at his local library. What is your local library? Middle
1: Country Public Library.
0: Middle Country. Shout out! Nice. So, isn't it true? Um, An at, at episode one in your podcast, it actually featured some of those in your group. Yep. Um, So you actually brought your equipment in and and spoke to the people in your group.
1: So no, we actually took them into uh, the radio station. So uh, WSB, Stony Brook student run radio station was kind enough to give us some space that we could set up and have some quiet time. Mm -hmm. And they came to campus and they came inside. And part of that was because I was still figuring out and I wasn't completely certain that I would be able to get good sound quality if we had gone into the room and I also it would have been awkward if I had gone to the writers group and not everybody at the group felt comfortable participating Right, um, but I really just didn't feel like I had the hardware to successfully do Like you have Libraryland can't see the entire setup of tools that you have behind you here but you <laughs> were just showing me how you could set up like eight microphones. Um, I'm excited with my two so uh, bearing that in mind that kind of dictated that we took them into the studio then.
0: Okay. I well,
1: we have so many home-
0: questions for you, and I just want to let you know we do do our homework here. And I, I can
1: see that from the script.
0: And I fell in love with your podcast after the first episode. That's too kind. But let's let's get into the guts okay. of things, because we could just sit here and, and just, you know, I could be fanboy for hours. Um, so before we get started about talking about our passions, mm-hmm. and because people with, uh, will email us to say, you know, tell us about your day job. Uh, tell us about your day job. Tell us what
1: you do over at Stony Brook. So the day job's actually a little bit of everything. I mean, this this week's kind of a great example because we just had the, the snowstorm come through on Wednesday. So literally this is my first evening off campus since Wednesday. Wow. Um, but it's, I work in the student centers and I'm a facilities job that works with students. So the great thing is every day is different because you have different, we do event production, we do maintenance custodial and uh, opening and closing and some safety and security things. And how what helped me most is the AV production of that. So when I started to have the idea of kind of doing this podcast, I kind of had some tricks that I could lean on from things that I'd learned on the job. So I sort of have in some ways Stony Brook to thank for trying to have a way of figuring this out.
0: <laughs> I love it. So tell us about where you went to school, your educational background. Where did you get your degree, and, and did you I study English?
1: Was I did, but I, I did it without really – Caring about it necessarily. I was a double major in college, so I went to school in South Dakota. South Dakota, South Dakota, Mitchell, South Dakota, home of the Corn Palace. And I encouraged Library Land to look that up because it's a thing. And I had a great experience out there. But I went; it was kind of a joke. We now you're taken,
0: from here, right? I'm from, from Long from...
1: Island. We had done a family vacation out there. So when I was looking for colleges, it was like, "Where are you going to go to college? I don't know. What's in South Dakota?" So it was a joke. We, total wow. But then when I was looking at schools, there was this like one school that no matter what criteria I put on the list, and one of those criteria was that I wanted an acting uh, program, but I also wanted a creative writing program that didn't emphasize poetry because at that time, the majority of creative writing uh, programs, uh, it was really about becoming a great poet, and prose was uh, usually sacrificed to that. So. This school, Dakota Wesleyan University, never dropped off the list. And we went out there and it was uh, somewhat similar to what the weather is like today. There was like knee-high snow. We're trumpet through people wearing shorts. Uh, how are you wearing shorts in knee-high snow? What is wrong with you people? And um, I fell in love with the area and the campus and it's it was a great time. So I did this double major thing, but the real idea was that I was going to be an actor. So I was going to go out there for a couple years, get the degree – Come home, earn some money, and then go start acting. And I discovered uh, after coming home and doing a little bit of extra work and getting the headshots and everything that I enjoyed having a paycheck, and that <laughs> just does not work so well if you want to be an actor. Right. So you know, I, I kind of let go of that, and then, um, but still, kind of wanted some type of creative outlet. And then I happened to think about the old creative writing major that i hadn't really paid attention to when i was in school so much and then that led me to getting into an mfa program and um really rediscovering how much i really enjoy writing wow yeah south dakota god
0: south dakota yeah so it kind of segues into my next question writing how did it become this passion and you know um was it because of you know <laughs> the Star Wars the Rebirth that you had
1: written. Star Wars the Rebirth. The rebirth. You know, it's so as a kid, I always liked writing and telling stories. And my dad always wanted me to be a writer. I mean, if I had gotten the ideal job, I would have been an English teacher what that he wanted me to be. And I just never I always kind of like just resisted that path. And I don't really know why necessarily. So I never really seriously considered all the sort of the writing doodles that I was doing. So I mean, I wrote Star Wars, and I wrote Star Trek, and I wrote my own, you know, post-apocalyptic future. And when I went to college, I was still, then I was writing like Batman stuff, and I was writing short stories. Again, though, not really kind of seriously considering anything. And it was cool when I got a couple pieces published in the school's literary magazine, but again, I never really thought that much about it. And it wasn't until um, I started actually working on a story, I kind of conceived the concept when I was in college, and I just never really did anything. Just kind of rattled around and kind of filed in the back of the brain. But that, but those nuggets of that story are actually what the the thesis that I'm working on right now in my MFA program would will result in. So the, the, the manuscript that I'll leave the program with, i will be shopping around to agents and stuff. Actually, I can trace its roots back to, you know, Dakota Wesleyan University. Wow. Yeah.
0: So explain this to me, because in, in listening to your podcast, it kind of said to me, wow, maybe I should write something.
1: Write something, do oh, it. God, I don't have enough
0: time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, tell me about that drive to be a writer and what because I see in in your podcast, you've kind of morphed or developed a little bit where you were going from nonfiction writing to actually from fiction writing to now in the last couple of episodes, you're leaning more towards YA kind of writing. Tell, Tell me about what's happening in your head.
1: So part of it is I, I enjoy writing a variety of things. So I, I've, I've got some nonfiction uh, memoir pieces that I've worked on that I really enjoy and I think that when I'm done writing, the current piece that I'm working on right now in long form is a middle grade thriller that could conceivably be a trilogy and I think that once I'm sort of done with that story, I th- have a feeling that the next piece I write might wind up being um, a memoir piece about growing up with my dad. And so, in but... When I write short fiction pieces, they're very different than any of the things that I'm working on. Um like a piece that just got published by Ricky's Backyard, shout out to our friends in Canada, uh, is about a school shooting. And it's a so it's called We Be the Monsoons, and that it there's nothing about that story that is, you know, YA or middle grade. So it's just mm-hmm. sort of wherever that idea is and it takes you. And that's a story that was born out of um uh, Susan Scarf Merrill's short fiction class at Stony Brook, Southampton. Mm-hmm. And I ne- it's not something I ever would have thought about writing until I'd kind of taken the class and just started um, trying to see where short fiction took me.
0: Wow. That, that's... What
1: am I going to try to say about that? I mean it's
0: interesting just from the podcast to see how this has evolved for you.
1: Yeah. But you also asked about the drive. Like what's that drive like? And I feel like you've got the – I mean I think you can relate with because it's the drive that forces you to put a podcast together. I mean you think of all like the effort that that takes, like it would be easier to just not do that thing. Uh, But you do that thing because – you're getting joy out of dealing with all of the problems, of it, technical problems and all that. Sure. It's still worth the return on investment. And that's sort of what writing is, too, for me.
0: I could see that, sure, yeah. Um, so how did your passion to, to be a writer spark the idea of turning it into a podcast? I mean, to discuss the notion of attempting to be so a published there, writer and yeah. all that, you know. That I, always, I find it fascinating when I listen to podcasts, and sometimes it misses the mark. And you say, oh, I'm never listening to this podcast. And this is like this guy droning on. And I'm sure that there's somebody listening to this podcast right now saying, what the heck am I doing listening to this? Cut
1: that Howie guy this off. Is, oh,
0: man, that Chris guy, <laughs> that, that terrible accent. He's <laughs> leaning too close into the microphone. And doesn't he understand how anything works? Um, you know, sometimes you listen to a podcast and you say, this is terrible. But I have to tell you, just like a good book, episode one sucked me in. and I said, wait, there's more. there's got to be more. I need to listen to the next episode. It just sucked you right in because you can feel the drive. You can feel your passion. And whether it's and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a combination of the writer's passion and the this newly found podcaster's passion. Because to be a podcaster, you have to be a writer. You have to have you can't just, you know, put a mic in front of you and your friend and say what do you want to talk about today and start belching into the microphone?
1: Yeah, everyone's telling a story. you got to be a storyteller. Yeah. So whether it's serial or whether it's library prose, every, you're telling a story.
0: Right. So, And that's what pulled me in. But what was your motivation?
1: So the motivation, there's this, uh, there's this um, ugly truth that if you want to be a writer, if you want to get published, if you want to get an agent and get a book deal – one of the things that you're going to have to prove is that you have a platform. So whether it's a blog or you have to have to show, you have a following and not just a couple of hundred people, but they they want to see that you have access to a network of thousands of people that could conceivably buy your book. And this was something that I heard at a couple of conferences that I'd been at, but literally I'd i been at uh, Stony Brook's uh, summer conference studying with Patty McCormick, who wound up becoming my thesis advisor. And... In three different times during that one conference, this notion of a platform had come up, and every time it would get raised, I would just sort of block it out because i 'm like i don 't i 'm not a good blogger and i don 't you know I have like a hundred Twitter followers, but as I was driving home, I was really challenging myself as to what if i 'm going to make an effort to do something and you have to get this platform of people, it would have to be something that I would legitimately enjoy doing that I felt like I could contribute something to and I don't know what the take would be on if I did a blog, and as I was driving home, it was this idea of what if I what if I were to share what the journey is like for someone trying to figure this writing thing out and and make it a podcast? And it could also have something to do with the fact that it had only been a couple months earlier that I had um, listened to Serial and fallen in love with, mm-hmm. um, and I've always enjoyed – the old, Like the golden age of radio programs. Oh, yeah. So we lost power once. Do you remember? Um, I think it was like Hurricane Irene came through. Yes. So my house, we lost power for several days. And so what do you do? There's no power. Neighbors behind us had power, by the way. Our block had no power. So like during the day, we're like. We had the
0: exact same thing.
1: Oh, it was so frustrating. So anyway, I'm like during the day, I'm like. You know, at work, charging the iPad, and and when I get home, I'm, like, standing by the back fence with the neighbor's Wi-Fi trying to download (laughs) things. And so, But what I would subject my husband to was listening to these old radio programs. Uh, He did not enjoy them at all, but I thought it was just so cool to have an excuse to listen to that.
0: Okay, you're freaking me out now because do you know what I listen to when I'm not listening to podcasts? What? BingCrosby.com. They stream his old radio shows.
1: I'm going to have to check this out.
0: Some, it's com, and he has a – literally, you press play on the streamer, and it's playing his stuff. And then there's a, a website that I've downloaded as many episodes as I could, especially the ones during the war years. Mm. It's so incredibly fascinating to me to see where we were, where, how far we've come with regard to how we feel about women, how we feel about work um, during the war, talking about ration points and how they advertised around ration points, and how apparently crafts bread with olives and pimentos on bread was a healthy lunch.
1: Oh, I would be miserable with that lunch. That would not fly for me.
0: And there are so many things... I get things... very cranky when I don't
1: have lunch. Well, it's so interesting that would not even qualify for lunch for me. It in the be...
0: context of time and understanding the history, when this when Bing was speaking, what was happening? Like he was doing the Christmas show in 1944. And all you think of is, well, those bastards in Bastogne that are getting destroyed right now by the Germans in the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. And here's Bing Crosby talking from Hollywood. And, always, you know, and then after that, after the, the Korean War and, and talking about the post-war years and talking about Philco radios and you know, he's talking about the new Philco radio and all of a sudden you're in Google Images trying to find out what this beautiful... Because you're sold. Yeah. Because there's such good pitchment. I want one of these radios. And you look it up And it's this Bakelite piece of garbage that, you know, if you have one now, it may not even work. So we're kindred spirits when it comes to listening to the old radio shows.
1: They, for the longest time, had reunions that they were doing, sort of like uh, radio conventions, if you will. And they did the last one, I think, five years ago now. Uh, but they still had some of the original performers from the Golden Age um, that would, like, at that time were, you know, performing the roles of the kids on air. Sure. Uh, but, you know, that generation was sort of, you know, leaving and the, f- and the fans were no longer there. But I think that that's unfortunate because with how popular podcasting has become, I think there could have been a, a, a complete, like, resurgence and of interest in that art because that's what podcasting is. It's the special effects you were just playing with uh, in the intro music there. I think it's all connected and so much of what worked for them in terms of shows is what informs what we understand of good radio with podcasting.
0: What's interesting too is, you know, after the war, by 1947 TV was the big thing and they were making fun of the fact that nobody's listening to radio anymore and saying oh the halcyon days of radio are gone and making fun of tv and saying i'm never going to be on tv and you know fighting the new tech and now tv is dying
1: yeah, but you know what's interesting about that? I feel like the same – it's the same argument we hear again. So like radio dying. But radio really hasn't died. It's just been reborn indifferently. And I would say that podcast is, is – And exactly podcast like is a, is the reiteration so of that, sure. The, Netflix is the reiteration. Streaming is the reiteration of Correct. TV. So, so maybe
0: TV isn't dying as much as it's, cable it's is how dying.
1: We, well, it's how, we, it's how we access it. It's what we think of it as. And sure. I think that it's, it's – the thing that's constant though is our desire to consume stories. And that's what's always there. And mm-hmm. so – I think that whether you're just listening to those stories, you're watching those stories, you know, it's interesting because when I teach at Stony Brook, um, you know, we'll go around the room and like one of the things I ask them to do is tell me what you're reading or watching right now and, you know, that question is not what's on TV that you're watching because – None of them. This semester we're we're doing memoir, and not one of them mentioned a program that's on CBS, NBC, ABC. None of it. They, Correct. It's the unfortunate uh, series of unfortunate events. Uh, it's Stranger Things. It's all of these shows that you're not going to find on where broad, I was watching when on I network, was network. Yeah. Right,
0: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that. And it's funny you say that because my wife and I haven't watched network in years.
1: Uh, my husband and I were just talking about that the night. Like, I can't, Im- with the exception of Gold Rush, that is my- one of my guilty pleasures. Gold Rush, uh, where, but we don't even watch that live. So we're fast forwarding through commercials. Like I don't remember the last time I actually had to suffer through commercial breaks.
0: Well, you know, I have to take it back. This is us, is what my wife and I watch. But again, it's on DVR. Mm-hmm. So, but other than that, you know, it, it's either news, which is just too horrific to watch now. Or um or I'm watching an old T V show, Barney Miller, NYPD Blue, mm-hmm. or watching something on the History Channel or
1: Which know. is funny that Barney Miller and NYPD Blue are both in that same lump sum of old T V shows I because know. there's it such a distance so between bad.
0: them. Well in
1: in in terms of growing up,
0: I yeah. picture myself, okay, Barney Miller, I'm seven, six, five years old and NYPD blue, I'm twenty three. Yeah. And I still feel like I'm twenty-three in my head, but that was a long time ago.
1: But NYPD Blue too is It holds up. It holds up because there's an advance in the in the in the form of storytelling that happens there. I mean, and sure. how they handled um, like Dennis Friends' character there is there's some really nuanced stuff that's happening on screen and through season arcs. And I think that that's the you know when I when I that was definitely one of the things, not necessarily NYPD Blue specifically, but this idea of how can you try to develop something that there'll be payoff on the end for having kind of gone through all of the episodes. And so right. that was that's definitely something that was in my mind as I was trying to put together the frame of what would be the first the first season, right? Which feels like a never ending first season right now, since it's being split out over t- two years. But exactly, we're gonna exactly. get there.
0: So. I have to ask you this question now because you have a depth and breadth of knowledge with broadcasting and all that other stuff. I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. So what what's your background in podcasting, broadcasting, recording? Because we had talked off mic about the boom mic getting swatted away yeah. and being in the control room. Tell me. Tell me where, where this came from.
1: So, I mean, one of the things that I do at Stony Brook is we do audiovisual service production. So we have student staff that, really run the events. But they graduate the nerve. So really, (laughs) I had to get up to speed on what what this equipment was that we were playing with. And it helped that I was a theater kid, right, in college, because I knew the acting thing. And there was that whole side of technical theater that I wish I'd paid more attention to when I was in college, Sure, that I had to sort of get a crash course on on the fly and really figure out why there's feedback coming at. And so I had a basic sense of how sound recording and amplification could work. And then I spent an inordinate amount of time uh, researching. I did an independent study through Stony Brook with uh, one of the faculty on campus that does... uh, the one of the producers of Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing podcast. Mm-hmm. So I got some good experiences there. And then just um, Artie, my husband, was really just a lifesaver with helping me through some of the more technical challenges of figuring out how we could get the microphones to work with the MacBooks and, and get those things going. And very often he's with me when we're at the WSB studio interviewing so he can make sure that the sound's going. Because I can't do like what you're doing. What well, Libraryland does not see that I see <laughs> <laughs> is that Chris is sitting here with the script, the microphone and the soundboard and he's literally in real time mixing the sound <laughs> so can you let me, i have a question for you like when you're home if you're watching whatever this is us on tv uh-huh. can you also be like on one of your devices or something or can you only focus on one thing at? yeah a time? i can be on a device sure, sure. see i can't they, they, they talk about this like a generational thing here right and it's like you know millennials can be multitasking with their devices um I cannot – like I am totally in my Gen X roots of one thing. So when I'm interviewing – and in fact, I got busted doing that. One of the interviews that I did was with uh, Lee Mandel who runs the writing group at Middle Country Library. Mm -hmm. And I had her come in and I – she had like a bracelet on and – it was hitting the table oh my and we were God. getting... Is that not the worst? So I had the headphones on for like a hot second and I'm listening and I'm talking to her and we're doing the interview and I hear the tap, tap, tap going on. I'm forgetting that I need to do anything about this. And it wasn't until I'm like, oh, that's right, hold up, we've got to redo that. So I was failing miserably. So I'm so impressed by your ability to multitask here. Well,
0: and I'm also happy that you're, you're gesticulating with your hands and you're not touching the table. Yes, again, had, lessons learned the hard way. I've had so many podcasts where I say, okay... Don't touch the table. And people are like, mm-hmm. in case Library Land can't see that, I am actually touching the mic base. Yeah. And and um, again... See,
1: this is showing, not telling. So you've got this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's why I have these little rags underneath the, the mic base. Because if I don't, the, the sound will transfer even worse if I'm tapping on the table it will transfer even worse to,
1: to the mic. WSB has a brand new radio station on campus now. But now, is station, it at the main campus? It's at the main campus. But at the time when I was in the studio working on the first season, all those interviews are done and just the holdup is mixing them. Um, but the it was it, it's truly a, a, a thing that just evolved over time, their original studio. And so it was like there'd be like a pocket of the room here. Now that became a part of the radio station. So anyway the there's no there was no insulating going on on the tables no there's no shock proofing of anything Mm -hmm. so it was literally every movement would would come through that microphone so this setup that you have here like i had to take a photo of it because it's so perfect with (laughs) trying to anticipate how to cut back the from the the um, the muffle on the microphone to the little washcloth underneath the mic stand it's very professional chris thank
0: you thank you that's pretty funny Okay, so I have one more question before we take a break. Um, how has the podcast helped your journey towards getting published? Has there been a publisher that said, "I heard this th- this <laughs> this incredible podcast, and they're eating ice cream"? <laughs>
1: um, I, I hopefully I will have an answer to that story uh, sometime in the future. As of right now, really what's really what it's helped me do is be three things. The first is give me a way of framing how I might cultivate a platform. And I think I'm really excited. I think I've got a, a fun idea for the second season. And in some ways, it's the, finishing the first season for right now for me is a little painful because I'm really excited about what I've got in mind for the second season. And so it's helped me to become engaged in that way. The second thing, though, is I really enjoy teaching. I, I, it's sort of like one of those like volunteer things that I do at Stony Brook right now. And I've really fallen in love with it. So the the hope for me is that I'm really sort of working on a career pivot here. That I'll finish the MFA, I'll get published, and then I'll be a contender for getting uh, some adjunct faculty gigs somewhere. And maybe in South Dakota. Maybe in South Dakota. I would not. I would not be opposed to that. But I really do love being on the Northeast. So the idea would be that when you want to teach or when you want to engage in higher ed faculty, there's this idea of you know um, how you're engaging in literary discourse and being a good citizen of of academia. And the podcast for me has given me, I think, a, a means for engaging the community in that way, in a way that I find rewarding too. And I think the third thing that it sort of challenged me to do is I – if. The, the thing that all of the authors have been telling me, whether you know from Patty Blount to Judy Mandel to matt it's like if if they at their different points in their careers um you know Matt Siri at the beginning of his career um, Patty Blount published many times over in different genres you know if they can do it, you can do it has been the thing that they kind of tell me off air it's just you have to want it, you have to work for it and so when I get in these ruts of thinking everything I do is crap. Then I think back to these sort kind of like motivational. So I'm like getting these motivational pep talks by just giving them ice cream. So it's really the cheapest <laughs> therapy I think I've ever had. So Oh,
0: that's great. So there's so many questions I have for you, um, you know, about pod, the podcast, podcasting, and all that stuff. So I want to take a short break, and when we get come back, we'll become podcast geeks. Love it. Love it. And talk more about podcasting, the process, and compare notes about the craft and all that fun stuff. So, we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, and we're back with Howard Gunston, host of the podcast Writer's Comma Ice Cream. Sorry about the long break, but we were, again, talking. Just, that was on, a good break. I, it flew. I just tapped on the desk after you all did. that conversation. You did. Um, about You're going to get a demerit. Oh, my God. I just got an A-, minus. Um, assuming I was getting an A before. Yeah. Um, but we're just going on and on and on. This is, this is an endless conversation that can be had. Anybody ready for a five-hour podcast?
1: this is going to be the podcast that does your show in right there I know it's going to people are never going to listen downloads are going to one. plummet right now oh, absolutely. so you're welcome yeah. in advance
0: <laughs> okay since you're a writer and you talk so much about the the process again finger quotes in the air air quotes um, let's get nerdy and talk about the very beginning of when that light bulb went off in your head sorry I'm turning a page uh, about the podcast and you know was it actually a light bulb
1: or um, was it I got a bad you did not. That's awesome. I oh did. my god! I just can I tell you what a thrill that is right now that you took a sound clip from. Oh I my, a bad feeling about this. Chris. Best part of the night, right there. That's really cool. I, I had to do it. Yeah, I the, the light bulb moment. So there were, I would say, there were two clicks of the bulb. The first time the light bulb went on when I was when I was driving home from. The summer conference I was telling you about it, at Stony Brook and they've been drilling in our head this idea of the platform and and when I was driving home and thought I could do this podcast and it could be about the journey of becoming a writer and it could be about interviewing different people at different parts of their writing journey and that might be something that would be interesting to me and other people. So that was the first idea. But I have a lot of ideas, right? And then I never do anything with them. But, 90% of them go away. right? They end up so, on a
0: – wait, wait. Let me show you.
1: We So a friend – They and, end up
0: on one of these. A whole list yes! as I – a whole list of, of of ideas that never make it past the I mean, piece My of paper best in your idea.
1: Pocket. So my best so A coworker and I, uh, we worked in cubicles, right? And so Hetty and I were always trying to hang something on our walls, and it was like, you know, there really needs to be a hook that you could hang like a framed picture on, mm-hmm. not something with Velcro, but like a hook that the frame could go on. So we had this whole conversation. We're going to invent this, and then we thought, how many cubicles there are in America? We just invented the cubicle wall version of a Post-it note. So we're like, we're going to retire on this. So we were pumped. (laughs) We were excited. Literally, we were each like in touch with our homes like, so do we write the resignation letters now? But it turns out that someone had already beaten us to it, and if you just had gone on to Google, you would find them. And so we never did. So that was the best thing that I never did that I almost did. But the podcast, we wound up – I. Had this idea and then do I actually do it? So I molded over a couple of days and I talked to Artie about it. And I was really we were driving to a restaurant that we haunt all the time, um, Grey Horse Tavern, a local place. We enjoy going there and we happen to be there. Normally we're there on the weekends. We happen to be there on a Wednesday night and. It, it, the thing that was on my mind was if I did this, would do I actually know enough people that I could actually make a go of it for like the first couple of se- episodes until I could build it and who would I be asking to come in and I know a lot of aspiring novelists but do I really have those contacts with enough published novelists and I felt like I could probably approach faculty on campus but I might need to broaden the net of the program a little wider than that so I we walk into the the restaurant and just, I mean, talk about serendipitous timing. There was Matthew Seary who was there, kind of, you know, hawking his first book there. They had set up a table for him and he was giving out his card and talking about his book and his books for sale. And I'm normally not, you know, very uh sort of, you know, gregarious with my networking and outgoing nature. And yet I went up and I introduced him and said, listen, I've got this podcast that doesn't exist right now, so it's like, you know, hey, kid, come in this van with my candy right now, right? <laughs> and, um, and he said, sure, let's talk. And he you know, graciously agreed to sign on to something that was in principle only. There was no product that he could even listen to at that point to kind of have a sense of what we were going for. And uh, I bought his book, and he came on the program. And there – actually, Chris is a great example too. I actually had to bring him back a second time because when he was on the program um, the first time, uh, I did not get a, a piece of him reading his material. And so then he came back to campus – And he – like literally it was like this guerrilla style of podcasting because he drove up on campus and I ran out on my lunch break to like record him in the car and – that my, was in the car. The the him reading his material, not the interview, but right. him reading his materials in the car. Wow! And not only was it in the car, but what you heard was the microphone of the MacBook because when I hooked up the microphone, I didn't listen to it to make sure it was working correctly. Because why would I? That would only be responsible. And <laughs> he drove away. I'm all happy, and then I'm like, oh my god, the microphone wasn't recording. But fortunately, the you know the. This, the, the actual built-in microphone actually recorded him enough so that I could make it work
0: that's amazing
1: because I yeah. could not tell at I all. really lucked out with that so that it was those two things it was I had this idea do I do it do I not do it and then it's like here's an author I've never met before I, and I'm able to talk to him in a way about it that he's like sure this seems interesting so that was enough I think of a motivation to say let's actually give this a go wow yeah that's crazy so you keep talking about
0: WUSB. Mm-hmm. How I need to j-
1: give shouts out because they sponsored me. How, yeah, I was
0: just going to say, how did you partner with them? You know.
1: So I needed – And uh, by the
0: way, the, the plug for WUSB is the campus radio station at Sunnybrook University.
1: Check them out, WUSB.FM. It's uh, it's not, also on the dial. It's not
0: a USB plug or something like
1: that. No, 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 it yeah. is not. But they could probably have some fun with that. They should maybe build a logo around The that.
0: USB that doesn't plug into your computer.
1: Only on WSB.FM. Yeah, I think they got some fun with that. So I needed a space to record. And I, you know, although I do, what I do for my job is I do reservations, I certainly didn't want to lose my job for abusing that. And I didn't know where to do these interviews. The original idea was we were going to conduct the interviews at an ice cream parlor. So I, <laughs> I um, love that. That's a great idea. The very first interview, and I have audio of it, the very first interview that we did, I went around um, to a series of local ice cream stores trying to find ones that might work, that seemed like they had enough space inside that I could have a corner to record that we could have our own sound and not be bombarded I was say, by the mask. that's gonna be a nightmare. Yeah it was. But you know, I was also uh, watching at the time Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. I'm like, oh. well if Jerry Seinfeld can do it in a coffee store, I can do it and in a nice tells store. me he's
0: got a little more isolated mics yes, and yes. Boom mics he has a film and, crew, yes. Yeah.
1: So the very, very first interview that I did live was with the author Robert Hallowell, and we went and met at this ice cream store and it, it was, it was a, it was a disaster. It was, it was so unbelievably embarrassingly painful. I was, I was by myself already couldn't make that one. And I was trying to use iPads, uh, and iPhones to record. So I had add in microphones that had worked well in my testing scenario, but I'd never tried to test for longer than 15 minutes or something. And apparently it. The twenty-five minute mark or something, um, garage GarageBand on the app sh- like shuts off. You oh, can't no. record longer. Who knew? So um, it was failing, and then we were outside at this gorgeous um, right when the ice cream store opened. So they didn't really have any customers, but there are these other people that sat down right next to us and like we were watching us mm-hmm. so it was like we had audience and then they were setting up the tables for the day and the umbrellas so one of the employees came around and was like jostling the plastic table it was a nightmare oh. so I knew that I had to go inside and then that was when I kind of reached out to WSB and said hey I'm a graduate student on campus is there any way that you might be able to like sponsor reserving a room for me and I'll give you a shout out on air and they said well we'll do you one better why don't you come in and use our studio wow. and it was great because that is a huge help. It was a, it was a huge help. They were very gracious. Um, uh, Mike, the, the student musical director, um, you know, came in out of his time to make sure that I knew how to work my way around in there. And they lent us some equipment to use when I had um, – for that first episode when I had – I was interviewing three people at once, um, the Calderon family. So they gave us some equipment to make that work. So they, they really ha- were very, very generous in trying to help us get up and running.
0: Well, that's a great segue into my next question because, you know, with the library pros, it it was an idea, you know, that started on a yellow legal pad and uh, had to do a lot of research to figure out, you know, the nuts and bolts. And uh, for Listener, another uh, little... uh,
1: Yes, we're hoping Listener joins us.
0: Yes, yes, Listener, which is a a writer's writer's common notebook uh, reference for the listeners of his podcast he calls Listener. Brilliant, actually. That's a brilliant idea. So, you know, people who, who may not know... What goes into a podcast, you need to have, you know, some logistics in place. You need an RSS feed, a host for your audio files. You need a link and accounts for iTunes and Google Play and a way to record your podcast. And, you know, you have to have the equipment and sound effects and music, you know, trying to book guests, which is the biggest, you know, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. You know, You know. it can be did... overwhelming. It can be yeah. overwhelming so, to so start. Where did it... I know we kind of covered this before, but where did it really begin for you? And, you know, how technologically inclined are you and how that help or hinder your process?
1: So my original I, – I think I'm fairly well inclined on the computer and sort of – I think I have an okay sense of design and um, how to write for different mediums. So, you know, I – my original idea was that I was going to try – I had a vision of how I wanted the – the website pages to work, and I knew that I wanted a website to be able to house everything through your it website is amazing quite, too by uh, the way thank you i 'm actually working on a I, I think that the the form that i've got it in right now is a little static, and so i'm working on a, a, a kind of evolving that a bit but the original idea was I was going to use something in Adobe to do it but i what i don 't know is i don 't know actually HTML programming or anything and When I realized the learning curve that I was going to have on that, I realized that I needed to go with some type of a platform that was more of just a copy-paste and you're up and running. And that's when I found Wix. And that's really that's a Wix page. That's a Wix page. That's amazing. Yeah. And so the the photos and everything are not Wix, Mm -hmm. but the but the interface is Wix. And so then I for the for the images on there that was a combination of finding some free from some free stock photography download sites and some of my own uh, my own photos. And then the probably the thing that I had uh, the not the longest because it was the hardest, but the longest because it just can be a little time-consuming was the editing part with GarageBand. Right. So I knew that when I did this, um, I, I really wanted to try to keep the story uh, and the time short because I felt like I had a greater chance of getting more listens if, it was, if people didn't view this as a huge time commitment for what I was trying to do. But that was really hard because I sort of felt this pressure. These people were saying great things, and I felt this pressure – of trying to get everything on air. And for writers, there's this thing called you know you have to kill your darlings. And usually that's the thing that you love so much, um, but you're thinking maybe it's not moving the forward forward anymore because it changed how it was working. And that wound up actually being good advice for me with the editing of it because I had to let go – every episode is a struggle for me. I had to let go of a lot of good things because I had to keep kind of trying to come back to like what is, what is that specific episode about? So – Garage band, working with that, understanding how to do the tracks. And and because I'm not doing it live, I'm doing it in post. I'm editing, but I'm also adding in all the, the sound elements all on that same thing. Sure. And um, the first time, the first episode I was doing it, I mean, it crashed. I lost everything. All I had was the, the native worst. sound files from the recordings. And I had a little mini meltdown, so I already came rushing upstairs to where I was working and was like... Reset this up and was like, okay, now we're going to save all the time, right? You're going to save copies of this file. So um, that became the way we go about it. So as I'm editing along, I'm saving as and it becomes different version numbers and we go. So the sound, the SoundCloud thing um was probably the easiest part of that once I knew the because GarageBand actually And you
0: use SoundCloud if you're if you're hosting. For the
1: hosting. And so GarageBand actually has a native uh handshake with SoundCloud and so that was great. So that went to SoundCloud and then once you're in SoundCloud it's got a native handshake with the iTunes store so all of that wound up being much, I thought it was going to be much, much harder to figure out how to get this sound clip to live um, for downloads and streaming and to get it in the Apple uh, marketplace. And that actually wound up being much easier than I thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So what do you think is um, the, the biggest challenge in getting ready for the recording? Because, I mean, it you what you're doing is different than what I'm doing, where we sit in the room, we set up the mics, and we talk. You're, like, so dynamic in all the different places that you're recording and the way you put it See, together. I don't think and... they're
1: that different. I think we're telling different types of stories, which makes it seem different. I mean, and you're going for, like, a I think a more of, like, a documentary longer uh, show than I'm necessarily going for. But I, I – I think that the thing that every podcast probably has in general is it is a mistake to just wing the interviews. That's a big you mistake. Not wing the interviews. And it I, is
0: the worst I, tragedy in the history and I of think tragedies.
1: You Can tell it when you're listening to shows, and I've, I'm not going to, you know, they can remain innocent, but it, you show it. And no matter how good of um, uh, you know an interviewer you think you are, you have to know who you're sitting from, and you have to research. And so I think that's the to go into the recording session, you absolutely have to feel comfortable with the equipment, whatever you're using, but you have to have interviewed. And that is something that I learned. The amount of time now I spend cyber stalking my guests has just <laughs> increased exponentially because the first few that I came on with, I really didn't spend – a whole lot of time because I figured the conversation would just evolve, and I wanted to let it feel loose. And one of the things that I like, I used to like how John Stewart interviewed on the Daily Show because it wasn't, you know, when you watch something on the Tonight Show, all of that is scripted. Like they know exactly how that conversation. Oh, it's all timed go. out and everything. Sure. Uh, so the funny story, the anecdote, all that is all pre vetted. And the Daily Show was something that was more of a. F- of a free-form conversation. I think they knew the starting points as a viewer, it seemed, but there seemed to be some genuine sincerity in just letting a conversation go where it was going to go. John had the questions he was going to ask, but it wasn't pre-planned, it didn't seem. Sure. And so I thought, well, what you do is you sit down and you just let it go. But really, it's from knowing your guests so well and knowing what you're hoping to get out of that conversation – it's that interview and that prep that can guide where the questions go. Okay, very, very. Have you found the? Has that been your experience? Yeah, I would
0: say so. Yeah, um, it, it's always a funny thing, you know. It's it's kind of hard to pin down.
1: Did you try winging any winging any of your interviews? No, now I'm flubbing. Now it's my turn. Well, you flub the first half. I'll flub the second half. Well, you know, tonight. it's you gotta, funny okay, that the flubs. Um, you can have a blooper reel. Blooper reel, yeah, that would, well, oh,
0: I, and that talks about editing that you do like from the beginning of your podcast. Um, there was a time in school where, um, and I have I, for any friends of mine from college or, or postgraduate school, or know and they kind of kind of shake their head and, and hide when I talk about it. I have a best of answering machine uh, messages.
1: You absolutely have to get that on your show.
0: Oh, no way. You know, you absolutely need to. Hurt a lot
1: of people's careers.
0: No. Uh, (laughs) That's fantastic. And uh, there's this one with a buddy of mine, and uh, we were talking about an oral presentation we had to do. And he had everything laid out, kind of like what I have, all my list and bullet points, and he was ready to go. And whenever somebody talks about, you know, kind of going along as you go, you know, make it up as you go along, he says, I was all prepared, I was ready to go, and I decided. Forget it, and then he used an expletive and said, "I went ahead and winged it, and oh boy, did I get murdered? So anytime I even consider saying, You know what I'm just going to sit down and talk to this person, I keep hearing, and it's my buddy Jonathan, who lives in Connecticut, who I make reference to from time to time. I hear him in this in this and it's on the best of tape, going, I went and I winged it and boy, did I get killed <laughs> So, it's like one of those things that just sticks in the back of your head. And every time you get the idea to wing it, you just think of Jonathan saying, And oh boy, did I get killed.
1: So, what you need to do for this episode, actually, is you have to get Jonathan to give you a sound clip that you can build in. So, you can have Han Solo and Jonathan. I can
0: just take the sound clip from the tape.
1: You just take it from the tape. There you go. And then, Jonathan's claim to fame here can be he shared some screen time or airtime with Harrison Ford.
0: He's the wing it guy.
1: The wing it guy. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> well played
0: okay so assuming you use the studios at w usb yep are you using their hardware primarily
1: no so it's all the majority of the hardware is uh from our show so it, we're recording it actually on a macbook in GarageBand. okay i have two um uh wire uh, i have two microphones that we wire they connect through usb ports into the um, inputs on the macbook and then and then that is it i don't even have any uh i don't even have any windscreens on the microphones like when we when we because i wasn't sure how successful this was going to be or how much of an investment we wanted to make so The idea was we were going to get all the equipment that Serial used because Serial on their website actually has a thing like here's everything we use. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. And then you start pricing out these things and you're like, oh, I don't have $1,500 for that. So we went really, really low key, which is why actually when I met with um, the librarians for the session that we did for Suffolk County – One of the things we talked about was that you do not need a lot of money to get a podcast going. You could get a podcast going for $100. And and what you get is – what you find is that the more you wind up spending, you're going to start nuancing how good it sounds. But you could have a really cool involved um, podcast without spending much money. In fact, a couple of the guests that I've had were interviews that I recorded through – um, my iPhone. So it was my phone talking to their phone. So you're not even paying money on your microphones at that point because it's just all through your phone. Well, there are you- benefits to using a microphone like you're doing. The sound just sounds different.
0: Right. But don't you think, it, and this is just my thought, so long as you don't have an echo and you have an interesting topic. Yes. You you can – as long as there's nothing to distract the listener from the actual words, you could do it with anything. And the iPhone actually has a really good microphone.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's – it's funny. That that wound up becoming one of the technical problems I had to figure out how to address because I'm actually – as part of the podcast, I'm challenging them to describe the ice cream that they're eating. And so the eating on air is – yes, is something that – you know, I let a little bit of that kind of come in, but I'm, I'm very careful in staging the interview that there's portions of the program where we're dealing with the ice cream challenge while they're eating it. But then we also have a portion where they're, they're done with the eating and we can have like non mushy dialogue Mm -hmm. to come in. Okay. Again, learned the hard way.
0: Right. Exactly. And that, Sometimes you have to take your lumps in order to to get a better yep. product in the long run. Yeah. Um. So w- before we, when we were off mic, I showed you how I do phoners. Um, yes. For the people who aren't in, I can't Getting I'm technical say this, here in the biz. Yes. Ugh. Welcome to the biz. Ugh. I just made myself sick. Um. How do you handle phoners? How do you actually get the audio from the phone? I'm assuming you're using your iPhone.
1: Yeah, there's an app. I mean, there's a couple of apps. There's freeware apps. There's apps you can pay for um, the... The one that I have is, uh, I think it's called Tape on Call or something. It's really easy because it's got a big red button. So when you're ready to record, you <laughs> press the red button, you bridge in the other line, and and you're good to go, and you're up and running. God, thank God for the big red button. Yeah, the the thing that's unfortunate about the phone interviews is that you can't control the quality of them as well. And right. so when I've done some of these, they're on their mobile phone as well. And so you have the mobile phone, and there's really nothing you can do about that. And then I've also had times where it's my phone that's cutting out, even though they're on a landline. And some people talk, I mean, you were mentioning before about how sometimes people have a propensity to try to like yelling into their phone, especially when they know they're being recorded then. And so it's sort of dealing with all that. When I first, I think I scared a potential guest away because when I first had... S- it sent out some invites for uh, guests. There was a, someone that I'd met through um, a conference that I was at. And I had emailed them and they were actually seemed very, uh, very interested and excited. And then it started, we had to get down to the technical nature of how we were going to to do this. And I still had this image in my head of how every interview had to go with the ice cream challenge and stuff. And so... I kept piling on I think these things like you need a microphone and you have headsets. So you're not like hearing your micro. and eventually it wound up being that they were no longer able to do it because they had set something come up and that thing that came up probably was really valid but I th- – I wonder if some of it also was they just no longer had the brain energy to deal with Howie with his needing of the microphone and stuff. And now it, I I don't even I don't even ask them to have a microphone. I just say I'll call you and we'll do it because sort of for me that's some of the rustic charm of the podcast, and I'm okay sure. with that. And I felt like if I just embraced it and said, we're, like in one ep- the first episode, you hear you know, Buster barking. Yes, and, I and you actually, actually
0: made reference to it. it. Is is going to be the loud the, the podcast yeah. with background noise or yeah, something like that?
1: Yeah, and I actually like that. And in some ways, I think that episode one for me is my favorite.
0: Wait, your dog's name is Buster? Buster, yeah. That was my dog's name. Really? Right uh, the, it's a great dog scaring name. scaring me now. It's a
1: great dog name. So... There's something that everything that I wanted to do with the the show, I accomplished in episode one. I'm very proud of how episode one came out. Mm -hmm. I think if there's something that I realized as I was going along with the season is that it became much more of like a guest of the week type format. And although the first episode had guests, it also I think was much more deft at – propelling a main narrative maybe than some of the other subsequent episodes and so I think I get back on the ball better near the back end of of season particularly when episodes I think um, 10 and 11 uh, come out and I think that I've got a way for season 2 to be more successful it kind of But I hear a lot of people say like episode one was really good and you can show – you can see from the listens that episode one is really high and then episode two is high. But then there comes a point where they start like dropping off. And as I kind of look at where those drop-offs are, I kind of can connect them to how the – how those particular pieces are edited together in terms of the story. Mm -hmm. And so for me that was part of it. You really do think so? I do because I think I let them get longer – I think the there's got to be a payoff on it being longer, and if I'm if I'm having the episodes that I've had a tighter narrative on, that have I think you know carried through on the promise of the premise, mm-hmm. where you're experiencing more of like what my journey of trying to become a writer is. Um, there's definitely those episodes have been the ones that have had the higher the higher hits in some ways, which is interesting.
0: Been, you're drawing a direct correlation between length. And and listenability?
1: Well, I think, I think for different reasons. But yeah, for me, the length is because when I let them go longer – like if – the longer episodes, I know listening to them right now where I would make the cuts to kind of bring them back down. Um, and I just think that's because of the type of story that I'm telling. I think I – you know, it's – it works for the form that we're doing. Like one I, – I think that – for me, if I was going to go for a longer show, I think I would need to change something significantly to the DNA of the program to sustain it, because I'm editing it together and it's got these clever things, and I just think that there's there's a limit to how long that's clever for at one sitting.
0: Well, it's it's interesting you you talk about you know the the editing because as you can tell. Well, if you've ever heard this podcast. I have. We don't edit. And, you know, for better or for worse, it is what it is. Uh, I think for for this format, it works better to not edit because we can laugh at ourselves when we mess up. And, you know, it, I, I like it to be more of a hang as opposed to something that is a little more, you know, maybe well, professionally prepared. I
1: think – well, I wouldn't even say professionally prepared, but I think it's it, go, it goes to like what that – what that form is that you see yourself working in. So, I mean, when I hear the library prose, to me, the show comes across as more of like, we're sitting side saddle with like a pair of documentary, uh, you know, people going out and like interviewing and learning about um, each of the topics that you're on that week. Mm -hmm. Whereas probably for me, um, I'm not doing a documentary as much as I'm doing reality TV. And okay. so it's you know – we've got the editing and getting it down. And I think I absolutely want to be laughing at ourselves and things. But I think it's just – I think it's that difference in the – You don't want to distract tonal, from the topic. Yeah, it's, it's just a difference in the tone of how we approach it, which is why I think there's a, there's a market for so many different types of podcasts. And people could be – you and I are great examples. Like we could both be doing a podcast on writing or we could both be doing a podcast – on, you know, libraries and resources and things and and yet they'd be two very different shows. Not right. necessarily one better than the other, but just different ways of doing it. So and that's why the there's style. all yeah. 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 And and that's the thing. When I was first trying to figure out what I could do, I knew that I needed something that would I would feel comfortable like dabbling in. And I'm actually very self conscious, um like on un- edited like on air like at school on campus because working with college students what you know we get in often will be asked to participate in things like impromptu things and improv and and i usually don't do that not because i don't mind like laughing at my at myself but i'm often very self-conscious on coming across as just um i don't know Less than ingratiating uh, when you're on the fly like that, mm-hmm. and so it's got to be in a, in, a, in a system that feels supportive, and you feel like you're comfortable operating in that, and you have trust that that end product is you know going to be good.
0: Right. Exactly. So, speaking of that end product and knowing or trying to make it good, how do you distinguish in the editing process? You know, how do you separate podcasting gold from oh yeah, we got to cut that out.
1: It goes back for me, it goes back to the story. So what's so? I keep
0: it central, right?
1: Yeah, so while I'm doing the interview, I generally each of the guests when I brought them in, I sort of knew because I I, I was very specific with the people that I invited at different points in their career where they are, and I sort of knew what the what the theme of their episode might wind up being mm-hmm. sometimes that evolved but i usually went in with i always went in with an idea of what that particular theme might be and then in listening to the how the interview went i would adapt a little bit and then afterwards when i would listen to the whole episode well listen to the whole conversation unedited sometimes i would find a different hook that that might become the episode so whatever the whatever i would wind up settling in that would drive the the that would drive the bulk of the decisions the other thing is i had I really had sort of put a a limit on how long I was going to let the episodes be, and so um, in the beginning it was going to be thirty minutes, and then I let a couple kind of bleed up over thirty minutes, and and I've sort of decided I want to. I think the the sweet spot for the episodes are closer to something like twenty or twenty five minutes, so mm-hmm. that if someone was driving to work, they could probably get through at least like one full episode, and right. then, and if they've got a longer drive, they could listen to two or something. But so then those two things, the time parameter and the um because each of the interviews are are an hour some more like mm-hmm. i mean i have an incredible amount of audio that never makes the air and s- some of it is really really good and i've had to let go i mean i've i mean um lee mandel comes to mind i mean our conversation went almost 2 hours wow and i was i and i made a promise to myself that i would never do that to a guest again because i felt like um it just felt like for poor Lee sitting on that side of the table, probably it's like, when is this going to end? So (laughs) I, but I also decided that because I knew that I wasn't going to use two hours worth of material. And so that seemed, so it was cutting that back and figuring out, I get them in the studio. They're there for about, they're there for about 45 minutes, sometimes a little longer because of the exercises we have them do while they're there. And then when I get back into editing it, I, I, it, because of the canned stuff, right? So it's the Howie journey that we've got to deal with, and then we have the ice cream challenge, and then we have the visual prompt that they're doing. When you take all of that out, you're probably losing about 10 minutes of time, like, right there. Sure. And so that means that... And then it, each, like, the the writing, the visual prompt, I give them five minutes on air. So that, that 10 minutes of material is probably 15 minutes of... um the interview time when I'm with them, which mm-hmm. means that of that 45 minute interview, I I have 30 minutes of interview that I've got to figure out a way to get into 10 minutes of airtime, right? 12, 15 minutes tops, and that those are tough decisions,
0: right? And you you can tell that you know um, when you listen to the podcast that it's deliberate, like when when you've done the editing, you can tell the deliberateness of it because you have your side you know, little sidebars where you're talking to listener. It's almost like, um, uh, house of cards. If you've ever seen it. Yeah. 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 Thank you. you. He's talking to a Senator and he turns and looks straight at the camera and goes, This man is a yeah. complete idiot.
1: I will have this person's career. Just watch. But watch how I play him. But that also, when I was so when I was looking, when I'd listened to other podcasts and tried to figure out what what elements I liked and was drawing me in, it sort of went back to this idea of the ADD. And you know, you and I were talking about this idea of like the three segments and having a structure to this. You know, it's that three act. That was structure, my next question. You. Holy cow! It, I. A mind reader, what can I say? Oh, wow. But I it also goes back to having different um sound elements. So I think I think a mistake that some beginning podcasters can make is that it's as easy as just putting a recorder down and just listening to two people talk. And I think your soundboard is an example. You've got your your inner music cues when you're on break, and you've got you've got to find some way to pump up some energy in there to keep the attention. And so those sort of bridging narration things between the segments that were editing for me was also just a natural opportunity of like bringing people back out. When I um, when I talked with um, the librarians, I sort of equated it to when you watch a, a television show, you're looking at scene breaks and you've got scene breaks and you've got camera breaks. And the camera breaks are what are keeping your interest in that scene. And the same exact thing happens in podcasts and Mm -hmm. so if you listen to uh, you know any of our shows that's an example of that so when you've gone to your sound clips here that's an example of of your breaks there and that brings you back in exactly
0: exactly and and the sound breaks control um not just the break but attention attention and putting a period at the end of a sentence too yes yeah that way you can control what's happening in, in in each portion of the podcast um so where did the ice cream come from?
1: So the ice, so the ice cream evolved.
0: That is the after the comma. And if, if you don't know how to read comma, and you think it's coma ice cream, yeah. you're getting a coma from. You're drinking.
1: gonna get you're gonna get brain freeze, and you'll get so, a coma. Yeah. So
0: you know, people. Every time I said like, even just today, I said, "Oh yeah, it's a podcaster. His name is Podcast, writer's comma ice cream," and I get the same response. That's an interesting name. Yeah.
1: So I had no idea what I was going to call the show, no idea whatsoever. And I I wanted – I knew that what I wanted the show to be was I wanted to find some way to get into the head of a writer. You, when I when I go to author readings, it's very easy to sit there and listen to the author reading and, and and think just the words come out of their mouth perfect. That must be how they write. And they all talk about how they struggle, like I struggle – but it's so easy just because they've got the printed page and they're there. And so I wanted to try to find some way to reveal that. And we talk in writing classes a lot about you know, show, don't tell when you're mm-hmm. writing. Show, don't tell. So I really was trying to find a way to let an author's process in a way where we could see it instead of just talking about it because we really always just talk about it. So then it was one of the toughest things for me to do is to really describe things. I mean, I, you need me to write an action scene and I can do that, but you need me to describe what a room smells like. That's challenging for me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to play with sensory details and, and it came up to be, well, what if I go I, – and I, I must have had writers, uh, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee because it was like, we could get ice cream. And and that's where that's where the ice cream came in, and then the ice cream sort of informed the title. And the idea was it was going to be writers, you know, with a comma, ice cream, with and then whatever the topic was. So it was going to be like writers, ice cream, and a work in progress with Carrie Horner. But then that can't like every episode really couldn't have its own like series title. Mm -hmm. So what is what is the, the the title of the show? And um, then that's when it became. It's writers, comma, ice cream, whatever the episode is.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So tell me –
0: now, obviously – But it's a
1: problem because it's sort of – the whole kind of gimmick thing with the ice cream, which I really like the function that it serves. It's a problem for me for the second season because I don't know yet how I'm going to bring that – because in the title, I feel like I've got to do something with this, right? Right. I don't yet know for sure I'm going to maintain it in the same exact way episode to episode in in the next season. So that's one of the things that I'm wrestling with as I try to figure out the the structure and format of the the second season.
0: That's interesting that you bring up the structure and format because – as you can see from the prep that I did for today's show, it's a more, little more than a one sheet. It's you know bullet points, questions. This that is kind of a thing.
1: detailed script. I try, you know, I got to keep prepared. myself on point, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, do you down have... to the
1: minutes, approximate minutes you're spending in I'm each? I'm
0: trying. Thing. Um, so tell me about what you prepare for. Do you have bullet points set up? Do you use index cards? I know some some podcasters use index cards. Um, other people use different colored pieces of paper um what what's the process for you when you go into you don't just wing it do you?
1: no well i love <laughs> winging it uh so because i hear that works well for people named john so, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan. no i so i wish i'd brought it but i have um i have like a folio notebook kind of thing and um i will i will have my sketch out comments like questions in there and so when i go into the interview i kind of set up I have a lot of real estate that I need. And so I've got the visual prompt waiting and I've got the cooler with um, the ice cream and stuff in it. Uh And then I have my questions that I'm looking to drive the conversation. And then I have tried doing something similar to what you have where I have like a lot of research – text that i've printed and highlighted and and could go out with them mm-hmm. but i find again because of my focus and just the way i engage i'm I, I i get too caught up in too many words on the page and i'm much better at kind of just having a quick question that i can glance down at but i my focus is remaining across the microphone and that's worked out you know better for me sure but what i've evolved over time is having material that i can refer refer to in case I get into, I had one interview, there's only one interview that I did that was really, it wound up just being um, painful experience in the studio. It it wound up being great material and was successful, I think, in terms of kind of coming together. I won't say whether it's aired or not aired yet, but for me as an interviewer, I learned a lot about my ability to, um, or my inability to in the moment make something enjoyable. I really struggled with a way to make the interview feel at ease. I was hoping – for most people, the ice cream has done that because when you're eating, you sort of just relax right off the bat. Um, A couple of people were conscious about how they were going to come across eating and I sort of had to help – like I will make you sound good, don't worry. But for one of the guests in particular, I think it was just such a bizarre – set up this idea that i'm going to give you ice cream now and there's this visual prompt and i think it was i i think that i failed to adequately convince them that you can trust me i'm gonna make this work i'm not gonna make i'm not gonna make you look foolish this is not to make fun of you i'm not gonna embarrass you and i and in the editing room i'm i'm conscious very often about you know if someone they said these words these are all their words um are are they happy with how that came out? And I and I, and I I sometimes have not used something that I would like to use because I'm like, I wonder if they're going to not like how that comes across or makes them look. And I'm also, because I'm editing sort of clips together, I'm cutting out dead pauses, but sometimes I'm also even juxtapositioning the order in which we talked about something, because we might start on something, we'll go to something else, then we might come back to it later, and and I'll edit those things together, and I'll be cutting out the middle where we deviate. And I'm I'm always there kind of coming back to like when you're writing a memoir, am I staying truthful to what this was about or am I – and I never want it to be manipulated. So it's always – I'm like the most I'm doing is cutting segments of time together, but I'm not like really getting down and dirty and nuancing what they're saying.
0: It makes sense. It really does. I mean – as much as I keep looking around and everything, I'm, the eye contact is still very, very important when you're with the guests, even though I'm like, you know, reading my. You are
1: incredibly. No, I, I can't say it enough. Like, you are incredibly adept at doing three jobs at once. And I think anyone that hasn't podcasted, it's probably difficult to appreciate how difficult it is what you're doing. And <laughs> it always stresses me out anytime I'm trying to do it by myself because I know that I can't, quite frankly. So it's a either this and when I'm not focused on the guest. I think they can tell that I've tuned them out for a second because I'm like wrestling with something over right. here. So, no, I have not felt that I have distra- that you've become distracted from our interview at all. Oh, okay. So, rest assured. <laughs> Your reputation is secure. Well, I have to say, it really is a treat talking
0: podcasting with you cuz I am a fanboy. I love the podcast. I
1: really appreciate that, Chris. Thank you.
0: I hope maybe I would be fortunate enough to get an email with the image that you show the people and have them do their writing prompt.
1: I can guarantee that there will come a day when you will get that very email. So what we're going to do actually is once we get to the last episode and we do the reveal— The big reveal. We do the big reveal. um, We're going to be posting the image on our website, but we're also going to be posting— I only have them reading the first line, last line of what, and they that's wrote. brilliant. Yeah, because you're giving them five minutes and you're yeah. torturing them. I am. For some people, it's been very yes. So, but we're gonna post the whole thing of what they wrote, and I think it'll be very interesting to see um, from technical writers to you know memoirists to f- uh, fictionist writers that um, that how they approach that same thing. But looking at what they wrote, which is fun. It's awesome. Great. So anyway, um, yeah.
0: So I love that you you know how to just torture them just enough, and yet they don't get angry. Yeah, because you do it in a way that a writer. Well, that we air shot. anyway. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Okay. So we're going to end this segment and take a short break. Uh, but when we come back, we are going to ask Howard. Howard,
1: do you go by Howard? You can go Howie. Howie. The, it's just easier for me in print and on the way it's all Howard, but absolutely. Call me yeah. Howie. Howie. The friends call me Howie. Oh. And the library pros are friends
0: of writers, I comma, love ice it. Cream.
1: That's awesome.
0: Okay, so when we come back, we're going to ask Howie our top 10 library questions, or we like to call the 032.02 list.
1: By the way, it's a brilliant title.
0: Well, we give credit to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library who came up with the idea when she uh, was a guest. So we always say... Number Did the she do it on list. the fly? Like on those- the fly, that's yeah. She's a super Talent. librarian. Let me tell you right Talent now. Talent right there. So we, again, we give her a shout out every single time, and it's a list of questions we ask all our guests. So we will be right back. <laughs> back to the library pros here with uh our guest howard howie gunston so i just wanted to uh do one more thing before we started our top 10 list it would be something like this
1: I love right, you know how when you watch a show and they play the theme music and someone comes out, I've always thought like what must that sound like? That must be like a thrill to be like, Wow, that's my thing and you just did my thing. Yes, that I is love the it.
0: that is the intro for your show, right? I
1: love it. Yes, it is. I think that's one of the so that is one of the stock clips from inside GarageBand, if really? I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. I I'm pretty sure that's from GarageBand. There was one the dot matrix printer we had to go outside of GarageBand to to find, but that that clip was from there and we had to like kind of get it down to the right bumper.
0: That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So how it's gonna be Howie, I'm sorry. Howie is no, going go for- to be our next participant in the 032 list, which it corresponds to with a Dewey number for top ten lists. <laughs> and uh it is a top ten list of library-related questions. So even though you don't work in a library, I think that this translates very well. So before we begin, we have to say that the questions inspi- were inspired by the website Literary Hub, which is a website with very interesting library-related stories and interviews. And you can see their work by visiting www.lithub.com and their Twitter feed at @lithub or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelithub. Please visit their site and social media because they curate stories and articles that are of interest to anyone in the library world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So these questions uh, are usually directed at people that work in libraries. So we kind of modified them a bit so we can get your feelings about libraries. Okay. First question. What did you want to be when you were a child?
1: Oh, that's, I wanted to be an actor. From a very like, yeah, I was going to be acting. Very yes. nice. Yeah, I didn't charge for that, by the way. <laughs> Trademark? Yeah, exactly. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first memory of? See, I do listen. I'm really impressed. Yes.
0: What is your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? My first
1: memory of a library is the Patchogue Medford Library. All right, me too. Uh, yeah, and because uh, I used to live in that in that school district, and I. I honestly can't remember if it was my mom or my dad brought me down to the library, but both of them uh, have had brought me down to the library. And um, I used to enjoy going to the programs. And um, they, I was, I'm was i very fortunate that I have very fond memories of them reading to me when I was like going to bed. Like that reading was always, and, and storytelling was always sort of kind of baked into like our experience as kids. And, and I can't think of that and actually not think of the, Hatchog Medford Library. That's great.
0: So this question is a librarian question, but we'll see if we can't fiddle with it a little bit. It okay. says, when did you decide to work in a library? So instead of the library, let's talk I about... I want to appear
1: in a library. I want to be on a bookshelf in a library. Be in a bookshelf in a library. Yeah. So what
0: made you want it to be want- wanted? Here we go. There's what? another one. And I banged on the table. There you go. There's two strikes. All right. Now the only side effect side, see, now sound effect we you. need is the... Uh, the was it Family Feud? Yes.
1: Yeah, see, <laughs> this part of the episode is back to you flubbing. Exactly. I'm doing pretty good right now.
0: And usually I flub the Lit Hub thing, so okay. I made it. And through you were that. really good there. So yeah, yeah. I usually blow that right. one every single time. So what you know? What made you decide to be you know? Want to be a writer, and we usually ask librarians, you know, if it wasn't their first career path. We kind of covered this before. Well, but. I
1: feel like there's something that really appeals to me about the. You and I were talking about this when you gave me the tour of the of the library here, mm-hmm. um, and we were talking about like the, there's a there's a certain permanence of of books, and there for me as a reader nothing tops the tactile feel of having the book in your hands. I mean I've I've read books on – I mean I've read uh, Ready Player One on um, a Kindle and then I had to actually go out and and buy the book because I wanted the book. And so there's just something that permanence to me as a reader appealed and then when I sort of realized that I wanted to figure out a way to kind of tap into my creative side and and have an outlet with that and I realized that it wasn't going to be acting – and I always sort of looked at acting as a way to kind of like leave something behind of yourself. So this is a very selfish thing, right? I I wanted to become a published author so that there could be this thing that I could look at that's going to outlive me, right? I don't have any kids, so I'm not going to have kids that a are, legacy that are thing, me. yeah. Yeah, and and I think that that at its core is something of what's you know motivating me. Even with getting published right now with the the short pieces that I'm writing, I I really this last piece. Um, that got that got published by ricky's backyard i intentionally went to that market because i was looking for um a print journal that might be open to printing this piece and and many many of the of the literary journals are published by colleges and i really knew that it was going to be a tough sell trying to find a school that would be willing to uh consider a story about a school shooting Mm-hmm. You know, it's, not th- it's not like it's a thriller it's not sensationalizing the school shooting it's not really what it's about but it's sort of at the core of what's happening in the story and what college isn't going to get blowback from you know, administration for, for putting this out there especially if to be somewhere to happen right. so, but it was that idea I wanted to get it in print I wanted to see it in print
0: mm-hmm. okay next question and this one we've gotten very interesting answers to Who's your favorite fictional librarian, or do you have one?
1: Who's my favorite fictional librarian? Um, so I would have to say I'm I'm going to go with the first thing that pops into my mind. And do you remember in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when they're trying to break the floor and you've got the librarian in the room doing the yes. stamping? Mm-hmm. There's just something so fun and iconic about that moment. And um, – that is the first fictional librarian that comes to mind. I'm sure if I think about this longer and harder, I would think of others, but that's, that's who I'm going with right now.
0: Okay. What would you be doing if you, well, not working in a library, if, if you weren't going to be a writer, what would you do?
1: So if I wasn't going to be a writer and I wanted to do some other type of career change from like where I'm in right now... Um, I would say that I would probably be going for um, – I, probably I would be looking for a way to tap into marketing or communications because, uh, I, I mean, I really do sort of enjoy how companies are presenting themselves and kind of get out front. And um, I had thought about getting an MBA and bef- – so I have a master's in English and when I went to get – the I was – Gonna possibly get an MBA. I wasn't sure what I wanted to get that first master's in, so I th- I think that that would be what I would do. Okay.
0: What's your favorite section of the library? Hmm. Can be fiction, nonfiction, fiction, it's like an author versus. Uh, I'm am
1: I'm, I'm so I'm gonna answer it and say my favorite section of the library is any section that actually has books in it. I fully fully support the idea of diversifying how a library can engage the community and support the community because I feel like if you're investing in your library and your library knows how to invest in in the people in your community, it just elevates the community and discourse and all that. I think that's all brilliant and great. But I sort of see this dangerous trend where some of this um, ingenuity is at the expense of the stacks. Mm-hmm. And I, even at Stony Brook, a research institution, I mean, I hear people talk about how – the stacks are wasted space and you need more space for whatever this is. And I just, I, that makes my skin crawl as one of the things is why do you need the books? Because everyone can get things electronically. And I think, have you ever tried writing a 50 page research paper calling from different sources when you can't have those sources in front of you? That's difficult. Absolutely. And and you're expecting that of students who, by the way, don't want that. And that's why they're printing all the pages. So, I think that a lot of this kind of comes back to, for me, there's just something iconic and familiar and comfortable about walking into a place and being surrounded by books in any section.
0: Okay. If you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to, I guess, your home library? What would you want to add to it?
1: Could be books. Uh, I, so... Do you know what kills me? Anytime I see um, the book fairs at Middle Country Library, when you donate books to the library and then they they call the collection and then it's, we're going to do this. And I get it's a fundraiser. I totally get it. And people are getting great deals on the books. But it's done because principally, I guess, there's not enough room for everything on the shelves. And even at Stony Brook's uh, libraries on campus, they have a whole series of – uh, collections that are off-site in storage that if you give them like a week and a half to get the book to – camp, maybe it's a week – to get the book to campus, you can use it. But like who plans that far ahead, right? right. Sure. So I, if I had unlimited uh, resources to give to something, it would be – to just build space on top of space, I think the New York Public Library is a great example at like utilizing multiple levels subterranean and above ground to keep a collection like readily and immediately available.
0: Okay, what do you love about your library?
1: What I love about my library is our writing group. I haven't been able to attend um, lately because uh, our the schoolwork is typically on Wednesday nights for me, so in my okay. MFA program. Uh, but I, what I love about that, I went into that, um, I went into that group somewhat uncertain about how I was, how strong I was as a writer. That writing group is the first writing group outside of a classroom that um, I felt comfortable enough, sort of sharing what I had written. And you know, the group that Lee runs is so adept at just finding ways to build people up. And mm-hmm. you, you can't help but leave their feeling good, even if you've discovered a problem maybe in, some, in something writing not coming across as you'd wanted, but leaving there built up. And I, I think that I love that about, the, about that library, that writing group. Which they only – you know, the thing that I've never understood though is that Middle Country will only let them meet at the library once a month. It's because they have so many other programs. They've got to try to find a way to do right by the space. But there's so much interest in that group and there's so much devotion to it that they on their own meet weekly mm-hmm. at um, – I think they meet at Whole Foods now. Uh, they meet at Starbucks for a while. They meet weekly and I think that that just – I think that's so unfortunate that – that's not in the library on a regular basis. Books, reading, writers right? in the library. Makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Okay. So maybe I'd build them a room if I had more money too. They could have more room for books and a new room for the writers.
0: So you don't work in a library, but I mean – because this is a favorite question we have of people who work in libraries. But since you spend a lot of time in a library or or more time than probably what most people do Mm – Uh, I enjoy
1: writing in the library. I actually – I often will go down to Middle Country. I I like going out. I mean I write a lot at home, but I like going to coffee shops to write. I like going to uh, Middle Country uh, library to write too.
0: So what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you in a library? Anything weird ever
1: happened? Yes. All right. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I love my library. I love – I give major shots out. However, there is the uh, – I think it's the Miller Business section. uh, And – the way it's set up, that's where I like writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but the staff that work up there, they don't have library voices. And so it's so <laughs> confounding to me. And I get it. Like, like you can't have a library voice on the phone ringing. I mean, I totally get it. But, like, I'll be in the zone writing, and all of a sudden it's like, and I'm like, what is going on right now? Right. So um, for me, that's, like, always been the most bizarre thing that, like – the librarians don't need to have library voices like the patrons do. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I want, I want to be a guest librarian, so I don't need the library voice. Nice. And they're, oh, I mean, it's not that they're insensitive. It's just, it's the funny dynamic. You've got a phone headquarters, sort of, like they're getting an active phone call. So it's not like someone can whisper on the phone. So right. it's, I think it's just, it's interesting placement. <laughs> okay. So our last
0: question is, what are people without library cards missing out on?
1: So I think that people without library cards are really missing out on, on an incredible way to enrich their lives. I mean not to be too just uh, cliché-ish about it. But you know, if you weren't going to go into an MFA program – you can replicate some of the same experiences that you're getting from, that, that I'm getting from that experience in the library through the writing group or through the books that you've got on the shelves. I mean, writers learn how to write by reading, right? So, sure. I mean, that's what, that's all there. But it's not just that. I mean, look, look at what you're doing here with all of the, um, the the creating and design and innovative studios that you've got um, in the Sachem library here. That's like free access to these incredible opportunities for Creating and and helping to, you know, change how we're looking at what we can create in the world and bring into the world and produce and artistic talent and finding your interest. And so, you know, if I had not had a membership at the Middle Country Library and I had not been getting the flyer of the things and had seen that there was a writing course there and had gone in and had had a favorable experience with people reading my work – Would I have then taken the next step and said I think I can do – I mean I don't know. Like what would that journey be and how you get there? So I really feel like the library is such – and that's why it kills me when the library vote comes up, that there aren't more people coming out and voting. Like I just don't understand that, even just because you've got so many parents in the district. you know. So yeah, I I think that people that don't have a library card are really missing out on access to completely free – unbelievably um, exciting opportunities to invest in yourself and in, invest in opportunities for changing or rebuilding or just enriching. Awesome. Well, I have
0: to thank you for, for being such a good sport in answering our questions, even though we had to modify them a little bit because
1: you know, you don't work. I'm in not. A a I'm not a librarian. I can't. That's okay, Although, no. you know, that's the other job I could see myself. I, I, you know, so my friend Sam Alberts, who's how I found out about the the library association, got the mm-hmm. invite in. Like, like she's a librarian. My other friend uh, John Van Steen is a librarian. Like, I, I know all these like librarians, and I think I should have done that. Why did I not do that? Just work at this great place all day long. Oh my god, that's got to be a great job.
0: It really is. It's a wonderful job. It's awesome. So, this is usually where we would wrap up our podcast. Okay. But because you're the guest and we, we really wanted to try to do something. So, as an homage Uh-oh. to writers, comma, ice cream, Uh-oh. we present to you. <laughs>
1: Ben and Jerry's. And and it is the chocolate chip cookie dough. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Always making its request. (laughs) With the silver spoon. I like the fine silver here. Yes, of course. So we
0: figured uh, since you do this to your guests, we would supply you with our very own container of Ben and Jerry's cookie dough ice cream. And now we want you to scoop some of this ice cream out and describe. (laughs) <laughs> how this ice cream tastes and how it makes you feel. Oh, how so I close how it your tastes. eyes and dig in, and how it makes me feel. How did you think you were going to not escape the ice cream challenge? I love it. All of your guests it. now should be laughing and chuckling I, and well, saying it,
1: it, "ha ha." You're not going to hear very much because it's one listener. So there might be a chuckle somewhere out there, but um, it may not be too frozen, let, right? Yeah, no, it's great. The eyes are closed. They are So I would say there what I'm tasting right now is there's a real richness to the vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I'm and the chocolate I've never really appreciated before um, just how pronounced the dark chocolate flavor of the chocolate chunks in Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough is. So that's, that's what's on my mind. and It's like the unsung
0: hero. Because mm-hmm. everything is – it's all about the cookie dough.
1: So I have to tell you, this is the other thing that I learned about um, is that they, they, they have so many different sizes of the Ben & Jerry's. So did you know they actually also have
0: – The small half size, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But they don't have in every flavor. So when I've had guests – request sometimes i can't get it in the smaller flavor mm-hmm. um, thank you for ice cream um, <laughs> How could what was I the not? what was the other question that you asked did i answer it i think you did
0: um so, cuz i just want to eat ice well, cream do you feel that it's a cure for all ills
1: i uh, you that know is, i that
0: could be the best quote on your podcast I really really
1: should have trademarked that yeah yeah
0: cuz um, now we just used
1: it no, I think ice cream in general for me is the cure for all ills. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not partial necessarily to any specific one with that. Mm-hmm. But I do. I, I'm i enjoying the chocolate chip cookie dough. Thank you. Good. You should,
0: because this is your and thing. And it gets me
1: out of having to talk right now. See, exactly. this is also a security blanket right now. I've never appreciated it before just what a security blanket I'm giving the guess. <laughs> and it's also a crutch. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yep. So yeah.
0: we wanted to really uh, surprise you with that one. Surprised. Excellent. So thank you for being such a good sport and no, talking thank with you. us today. I mean, this is fun. This was a, a real pleasure for me.
1: This validates the model that I have right now. It, it's, <laughs> it's a great model. <laughs> uh, and I, and you're a giver, Chris. I go home with ice cream. You go home with ice cream. See, thank you for that. That's
0: not so bad. So you know, it was really fun having you on. And it's time for the, some plugs. Um, so check it. Check out Howie Gunston's Writers, Ice Cream podcast on iTunes. He also has a website, www.writersicecream.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash writersicecream. And on Twitter, you don't have a Twitter for the podcast, huh? Just my Twitter, at hgunston. At H. Gunston. You have an Instagram, too, which I thought yep. was very ambitious. So it's instagram.com slash SoundCloud and LinkedIn under Howard Gunston. And uh, we'll link all of Howard's info on our website, thelibrarypros.com. And again, thank you so much for coming Thank you in. so
1: much for having me, Chris. This was a lot of fun. So thank much you. Fun. we got a great show.
0: It's so much good to, to talk to a fellow podcaster. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it really was a great pleasure. Okay, so that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments on the show... Please go to the contact us section of our website at the the at thelibrarypros.com where we'll also have notes and links from all of our episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at Library thelibrarypros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And again, so you don't miss a thing, don't forget to subscribe on RSS, iTunes, Android, email, and Google Play. And remember, the opinions stated... By the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob. If Bob were here, we didn't make fun of Bob this time. We forgot. Oh, Bob is a little sick.
1: I'm Batman.
0: I'm Bob Man. And uh, so, yeah, the um, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob. And oh, Bob, Bob. They're just Bobs. Just Bob. Blame Bob. My opinion.
1: The views I expressed were all Bob's opinion. I love it. We talked before.
0: <laughs> And they're not those of the Satan Public Library, the M.S. Clark Memorial Library, Stony Brook University, um, or anyone else. Well, maybe, maybe uh, Writers' Comma Ice Cream.
1: Nope, we have no opinions either. They're all Bob.
0: Okay. So with that, we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pitbick Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.